Yeah, you can open up to Luke chapter 4 this morning if you have a Bible, or we'll bring those uh, verses up. I just got a text while uh, Ruben was doing announcements. We have 200 cards left, so take all 200 before you uh, go today. Take a handful, and uh, we'll, we'll get those out to the people they're supposed to be taken to. And I thought this morning uh, we might, uh, the Sunday before Christmas, unwrap this, this text it is just like one of the greatest Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah 61, fulfilled in Jesus, why he came, and I, I just couldn't get away from it this week, and so we'll spend our time here this week, and we'll open up to Luke 4.15, and we read that he, Jesus, taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So as people heard him, uh, they didn't know where, where he got such gracious words and where he got such wisdom. And, and as they heard him expound on the scriptures, it was normal uh, in the synagogues. People recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, uh, being glorified as the Messiah everywhere he went in Israel. And verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was... He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he was the uh, 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 itinerant rabbi that day. He was given the opportunity to teach in his own hometown synagogue. But just notice that as his custom was, or it could be translated as his habit was. So, uh, when, and we can keep that up for a minute. When I, I got saved, I remember hearing uh, another verse that talks about habit. It's Hebrews 10.25. Maybe you know that verse. Maybe you could say, oh, I, it's a great thing when you know God's word. You're like, yes, I know it. It comes alive to you. Or maybe when I quote it to you, you'll go, oh, yeah, I don't know the reference, but I do know that we're not to forsake the gathering together with one another, as is the habit or custom of some, and all the more we're to be encouraging one another, warning each other, stirring each other on as we see the Lord's coming near. And, uh, you know, when I was newly saved, I read that and I picked up on, like, you know, my heart was so touched. Like, I don't want to go to church. We're not to forsake the gathering together as is the habit of some. I don't want to go out of habit. I, if I go, I want my heart to be there. I don't ever want to just go out of habit. But, uh, you know, then the longer you uh, read the scriptures, I realized I was reading it wrong. The habit isn't a bad thing. The habit is a good habit. And, and we came through uh, COVID knowing, like, yeah, that's a good habit. Uh, we need to. I'm not allowed to go to church during these uh, days and weeks and months and years. But, boy, that, is, as we are, are now able to, that's a good habit. It's a good practice to be together with the people of God. Jesus uh, made that his custom. Every Saturday in the synagogue, he was part of a fellowship of people that the scriptures of God were read. And I just want to encourage you kind of this Christmas going into next year, make that your habit. In fact, I think what uh, I see in my life is over the years, the, the times that I'm battling the most to be in fellowship, those are usually the times I need to press through and be there. And so uh, what, a, what a good example Jesus is in every way for us. And verse uh, 17, we read, he was handed the book, or uh, your Bible might say he was handed the scroll 
the Isaiah scroll. And when he opened the book or scroll, he found the place where it was written. And we're going to read uh, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 as we're studying Luke. And this was to be the reading for the day. The readings were laid out uh, all year of what the uh, Jewish people would read on each Saturday. And this was uh, the text that Jesus was given to read. So he opened up the Isaiah scroll. He found the place where it was written. Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Spirit... Verse 18 in, our, in Luke's chap, Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So this is found all through the Old Testament. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, when we come to the New Testament, the, the, the doctrine and the teaching of the Trinity is expounded even in a greater way. We're to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But here we see the Spirit of the Lord, which is a reference to the Father, is upon me. This is the Messiah speaking prophetically in Isaiah 61, and Jesus is reading it in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And anointed, it's the Greek word uh, for Christ. Jesus is the Christ, or in Hebrew, it's Messiah. And here as Jesus is reading the prophecy of the Messiah, he's actually claiming to be the Messiah. The Messiah, the Christ, is, is me, and the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me, and we're going to read these five things. To preach the gospel to the poor, and we'll unwrap these this morning. He has sent me, number two, to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And number four, recovery of sight to the blind. And then number five, to set at liberty those who... Are oppressed. So in this prophecy, the Messiah, prophetically in Isaiah 61, the Messiah, Jesus, fulfilling it and reading it, announces that he came to heal, and maybe you've seen this before, maybe you haven't seen it before, the fivefold damage that sin brings. That's at the very heart of why Jesus came, because sin has damaged you. Sin has damaged us. And Jesus came in order to redeem, or, or, or redeem means he pays for all of our sin, or to reconcile. Sin has uh, caused us to be separated from God, and Jesus came to pay for us. He came to reconcile us. He came, a lot of what we're going to read about in this prophecy is he came to restore that which was lost, so let's look at these five different things that Jesus mentioned. First of all, he says he came to preach the gospel to the poor. At the very heart of who Jesus is, why he came, why he was born, why he came to this earth, it's to preach the gospel or the good news to the poor. And what we want to understand is that sin impoverishes us spiritually. Sin makes us poor. Sin impoverishes us. Uh, man was once rich. God created man rich, but sin makes us poor. 
God created man rich because man knew God. God. Man communed with God. That's as rich as you can be. Our world doesn't equate riches in that way, but that's, that's as rich as a person can be. If you're alive to God, if you're in fellowship with God, if you know God, if you're someone who walks with God, you're rich. But sin has made us poor. Sin impoverishes us. Look at this verse in this context. It really comes alive. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we'll bring it up. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and even reading that, Paul's writing to believers, that'd be a question to ask yourself. The, the word know is not head knowledge, but it's talking about you've experienced. You've ex- if you're saved, you've ex- experienced grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. If we're saved because we don't deserve it. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, and this is a this is summarizes everything about Jesus. He he came for your sakes. He wasn't thinking of himself, he was thinking of you. For your sakes he became poor. So this is the Christmas story. The king of kings left his wealth. He came as a suffering servant. Majesty, Jesus left that eternal place of majesty to come as a man. He came into a poor family. When you read our beloved uh, Luke 2, uh, you read that when a baby was born, they were to offer a lamb for it. But if you were too poor, you were to offer two turtle doves. And Mary and Joseph offered two turtle doves. That's how, that's how poor he became. From his wealth, he came low. He became poor for your sakes. And even so poor, there wasn't even room for him in the inn. When he was born, he was born in a stable. And we'll talk about that message and why that's so important tonight. Yet for your sakes, he, he stooped. He came this low. He became so poor. And here's the whole reason that you, you know this by experience, don't you? You know the grace by experience. Paul was writing to those in Corinthians. For you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is, this is the gospel. The gospel makes poor people rich. That's why Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. But the thing about the gospel is you can't be saved unless you know that you're poor. So the greatest sermon ever given is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how Jesus preached. And this is what it sounded like. Matthew 5.3 He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, if you don't understand your poverty, if you don't understand spiritually that you're poor, man man has a tendency to think, "I'm, I'm pretty good. And the reason I'm pretty good is because when I put myself next to those people, them, then I'm, I'm pretty good. And pretty good people, God likes pretty good people, and pretty good people go to heaven. But Pretty good people don't go to heaven. The only people that go to heaven are people that realize they're not pretty good, that they realize that spiritually they're poor. And what a terrible mistake it is to compare ourselves to others and think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I think I'll be okay with God. No, when you compare yourself to God, you're not pretty good. 
When, when um, you see yourself in the light of God, Isaiah said in the Old Testament, woe is me, I'm undone. And the first thing he realized that he was spiritually poor, my lips, my, my speech, boy, the things that come out of this mouth show how spiritually poor I am. And isn't that amazing? Jesus would say things like, you know what? Um, your own words are going to judge you. People that are condemned by God in the end at the great white throne judgment, it's going to be their own words that condemn them. And Jesus said your words can either condemn you one day in judgment, or Jesus said your words can justify you. If you'll turn to the Messiah, you'll be saved. And Christ will justify you. He'll put his righteousness in your account. But as we look at this, this is blessed are the poor in spirit. In the Greek language, it's theirs. Only theirs. Theirs alone. It's emphatic. You can't come into the kingdom until you know that spiritually you're poor. And of, of, of course, when you see yourself in the light of God's word, you, you, you see yourself in the light of God, you realize you're poor. You know, you see yourself in the, in the light of God's word, you realize that you're spiritually poor. Have no other gods before me. That, that doesn't make you spiritually rich. That makes you poor. You've, you've failed there. Not to have any idols. That doesn't make you rich. That makes you poor. Don't take the Lord's name in a vain way. That doesn't make you rich. That shows you how poor you are. Man, that's three strikes against me. And it's actually, you have ten strikes against you. Well, that's what the law does. It shows us that we're poor. You know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he thought he was a good guy. But when Jesus appeared to him in all of his glory... Paul saw everything he thought he was clothed in, that he was such a good guy. Paul saw what he was really clothed in, and he understood what the prophet said, that all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. And Paul even went on to write and say, you know what? I was clothing myself in dung. I thought I was acceptable to God, and it was dung. It was manure. That's how poor I was when I got saved. And so you can't be saved apart from recognizing that you're spiritually, you're poor. You, that, oh, blessed are you when you realize that. And then the next, if, we won't bring it up, but if you kept listening to Jesus, he would then say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because as soon as you recognize your spiritual condition, the Holy Spirit starts to comfort you and point you to Jesus Christ. And then the next beatitude is, blessed are the meek, and uh, with that, we read that and listen to that sermon. We don't, meek just doesn't really equate. It kind of sounds like weak. Blessed are the weak. But actually, meek, a good way to think of it is me ek. Like God just does this word. You see how poor you are. The Holy Spirit starts comforting you and showing you Jesus. And you come to a place where you go, me ek. You're like, horrible. Uh, uh, another. another a deeper look at meek, it's a, it's a um, Greek word that means strength under control. And it, it's talking about a, a beautiful stallion who's broken and brought under the master's control. The sa salvation, you're broken of yourself. You're no longer running wild. You're now under the master's control. But it all starts with poor in spirit. I recognize spiritually there's a problem. The Holy Spirit starts comforting me, start mourning my state spiritually. 
And it's then that, that God can actually break me and bring me under Jesus' control and save me. Well, as we read this, first of all, uh, Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. Second, to heal the brokenhearted. So again, um, sin damages us. Sin, sin leaves people broke and broken and brokenhearted. And that's why Jesus came. That's why the Messiah came. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Most of us know this psalm. I'll, I'll pour it, pull it up. I bet you've seen it before. The Lord is near, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Maybe, maybe you have a broken heart. Like Christmas time, there's such joy because of what Jesus did, but in a lot of our circles, there's real brokenness. There was a family, I was at the prayer meeting this week, and they're just seven weeks to our church, and they're in and out of court cases right now because their daughter was killed in vehicular manslaughter. That's what their Christmas looks like right now. Then they got news of another daughter, that they're up at OHSU with her, and, and it wasn't the diagnosis they wanted. So, Sin leaves us broken in, in all kinds of situations that cause us to be brokenhearted. We grew up with dear friends. The little boy was my best friend, became a lawyer and died. I did, I did his funeral. The little girl, his sister, was my sister's best friend. And their dad, Bruce and, and Deb's dad, died, and that was tragic for that family. And now this week, I got the text from my sister, Deborah's son was coming home from Mammoth with his fiance. A car tried to pass the truck, hit him head on, and just a couple days now, they, uh, Deborah's son died. So this dear family close to us is just reeling, just brokenhearted. But we know the Lord is near the brokenhearted when 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 this sinful world leaves us just broke and broken and brokenhearted. Man, and maybe you're someone that's brokenhearted. The Lord always is, is drawing near to us when we're in such pain. But he doesn't just draw near to us. To draw near to us, he saves such as have a contrite spirit. And ultimately, this is fulfilled in, in Jesus. Salvation is fulfilled in Jesus. That, that sin leaves, leaves us, and I just put in parentheses, contrite means bruised. Sin, sin leaves us broken. Sin leaves us in so many ways bruised and crushed and humbled and discouraged. And again, maybe you're listening online or maybe you're listening here and, and sin has, has just devastated you. Well, the Lord not only wants to be near to you, he ultimately he wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to know Jesus. This is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Number three, one more verse I love, Psalm 147.3, talking about the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up or, or makes them their wounds well. The, the Lord's heart for people that are, are broken and brokenhearted. And then we read the third point, that Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. And again, so we just over and over, the backdrop for the Messiah is the damage that sin does to us. Sin leaves us captive. Sin leaves us enslaved, ensnared. And Jesus came to set captives free. 
You've heard me say it more than one time that sin makes us who we never thought we'd be, takes us where we never thought we'd go, costs us what we never thought we'd pay, and keeps us longer than we ever thought we'd stay. This is a lot of people's story. But Jesus came to set at liberty the captives. And the gospel at the very heart of Jesus, at the very heart of why Jesus came, is to set us free. And the first thing you learn about when you learn about the gospel, when you learn, learn about Jesus making you free, the first thing that brings joy to your heart is that you're free from the penalty of sin. Any of us that um, God is drawing us to save us, we become aware that we've sinned. We become aware that Jesus went to the cross to take the judgment for us. He frees us from the penalty. That's good news. That excites us. That brings joy but then you realize that the gospel is so much deeper that the book of Romans, the, at the very heart of the gospel, is not only freedom from the penalty of sin, but this wonderful freedom from the power of sin. I don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. That old man, the flesh life, that I was enslaved to do the things that I was doing, I don't have to do those anymore. I'm no longer a slave of sin. I've been set free. And, and Paul says in, in Romans that, that um, you know, if you're still sinning, he says, stop it. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to yield your members to unrighteousness anymore. And it's the most glorious message that the gospel frees you, frees you from sinful behavior. You don't ha have to behave like that any longer. And yet a lot of Christians are saved from the penalty, but they're still in the process of understanding, wow, you mean I don't have to act like that anymore. I don't have to do that anymore. For whatever reason, I was th thinking of my own story of growing up, and my dad had a pornography addiction. Don't uh, talk about it all the time, but in our bathroom underneath the sink dad had a stack of magazines and as a teenage boy growing up you find just about everything that's in your house and any cupboard and everything that's there and it didn't take me long to find those magazines and and I grew up as a teenage boy with an addiction to pornography and part of my story is my dad remodeled houses and and the, remember we remodeled a house and in the house was this um dryer or dishwasher box and I looked in there and four feet high were pornographic magazines and and I didn't drive at that time but I was able to get four feet high of pornographic magazines home to my house a couple miles away and I just grew up viewing that and viewing that and viewing that but isn't it amazing when you get saved I got saved I was an electrician as 18 years old and I was putting a fan in a house, and there was a pornographic magazine on the counter. And I was alone in the house, and I, I couldn't not, 18 years old, I could not open that magazine. It was just so powerful. And I didn't yet know, I was saved from the penalty, I didn't yet know that there was freedom from the power well, you know, I'm so thankful to be able to tell you that, you know, Susie and I have been married 32 years. I haven't viewed pornography for 32 years because the gospel frees you. You know, you say you haven't viewed pornography. Gosh, sometimes just looking at anything online, you're, you're close to viewing it. But I praise God that the gospel frees you. 
frees you from the power. Free. I even sometimes we hear these, uh, this phrase, generational sin. I was on a path for generational sin, but the gospel breaks that. And I just was, even the Christmas songs this morning, I couldn't help but just looked across at Susie, like married 32 years, like, oh my gosh, has God taken me from a poor place of poverty to in a thriving marriage, 32 years of marriage, and more in love than I've ever been. And just Christmas, I mean, it just, oh God, you've made me, if I, if I ever meditate on how poor I was, you've made me so rich. And honestly, our church family, at, the, at the, the height of the riches, all of the people that are part of our church family, how rich we are. I, our house church, even walking in today, seeing all the people from our house church, people we just so love and are spending our life with. And boy, I, I, if, if you're not in a house church, get in a house church. Some of the, the richest things in this church will be the people you choose to be in relationship and community with. Well, the fourth thing, recovery of the sight of sight to the blind. This is why Jesus came, because sin damages man. Sin blinds us. And Jesus came to open our eyes. He came for recovery of sight of the blind, that, that sin spiritually blinds us to the truth about God. People are blind. They're blind to how amazing God is, how wonderful God is, how good God is, how loving God is. How, how, that's, there's nothing greater than a human being being in full communion with God. And, and people are blind to that. The, 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 the greatest thing in their life is nature. I'm just a man of nature. And the, get out in the world. That, that's all I got. Because I'm blind to God. And sin blinds us to the truth about ourselves. We can't see who we are, really are and what our decisions are doing and what our behavior is doing. We're, we're blind to the damage we're doing to others. And man is blind to Jesus Christ and the, how rich he was and how poor he became not for his sake, for my sake, that he might make me who's so poor, so rich. People are blind to that message. And, you know, you just watch uh, media, and they just, you know, we were even watching an old Christmas, uh, classic Christmas, and, you know, they were at the table, and someone was going to pray, and then, you know, they just the scoffing, like, okay, who's the oldest, most religious lady at the table? Pray. And they're just blind, just blind to how beautiful it is to, to see the truth about God, see the truth about ourselves, to see the truth about Jesus. I don't know, maybe you could even evaluate. Maybe you've been given a measure of sight. Like, you know, like, yeah, I, do, I definitely think God's valuable and, you know, definitely see that God's working in me and, and it's good that Jesus went to the cross, but... You know, there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus touched a blind man and he didn't see clearly. And the Lord had to touch him again. Maybe you're only in the process of God opening your eyes to see. And in a lot of ways, the rest of our life is the Lord opening our eyes and 
Our eyes are just more and more open to the glory of God, more and more open. You know, it's very, it really is a paradox because you would think the longer you walk with the Lord, you're just more and more confident and strong. And it's a, it's a paradox because the, the greater and greater you see God, the, the more and more you realize how poor you are. The way you're always acting, the way you're always saying things, the way you're always doing things. And, and you just realize you're, that I need grace. I am what I, it's only by the grace of God. I am what I am. And, and uh, but the Lord opens eyes, recovery of sight to the blind. Listen to what Paul uh, uh, was told when he got saved. Jesus told Paul this, Acts 26, Paul, I'm going to send you to open people's eyes. Isn't that amazing? Men can be sent to other men so that their eyes will be open. Like it is possible, even right now, God's using this to open your eyes. I, I am just praying for the Christmas Eve service tonight. I just have this sense that as many people as we could get, it's going to be a powerful night of people coming out of darkness into the light. Just if there's any way. Just, just thinking of um, December, I got saved in a home fellowship and no invitation to come to Christ, but what I heard, I left, and I was changed. Isn't that amazing that God can change everything in one day for someone that you love or someone that you invite? Everything can change in one day. Well, uh, God sent Paul. I was just thinking of, thinking of my story. I, I kind of trying to decide what I'm going to share. But, you know, my house, I remember the house that I lived in. We lived in a cul-de-sac. That poor neighbor to the left of us built a 10-foot wall or, I don't know, 9-foot wall, brick wall to separate his house from my dad's house because of me. Because that's where our friends met every night. That's where we partied every night in front of our house. That's where we drank. That's where, you know, we were up late at night. And they had to build this big wall to just kind of separate themselves from me. And it's amazing, I, I got invited to that Bible study. Actually, a, a friend begged me to go that night, cried on my doorstep, and I went, and when I came home, my eyes were open. And I remember my, all my friends were there to party, and I told all my friends, hey, uh, I asked Jesus in my, my heart, I, I don't want to get drunk anymore. And I remember my friends were laughing at me. Just laughing. Yes, Jesus in his heart. They're just laughing. Well, they, they all laugh. We don't party that. They didn't need that brick wall anymore. The answer wasn't a brick wall. The answer was a changed heart. Isn't it amazing that God can use us to help open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness? What about you? Are your eyes open? Are you turned from darkness to light? Still living in the darkness? You're a believer, but you're still living in the darkness? Or you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with darkness. I've come out of the darkness. Now I'm the light. I, I think there's something really, really powerful that's going to happen tonight at the candlelighting service that I'm just, gonna, I'm just believing God there's something really powerful as we light the candles that, that it's not just symbolizing the past, but that that's who we are. We're the light now in the darkness and he turns them from darkness to his, 
marvelous light, one verse says, and from the power of Satan to God. Paul, Paul has sent that they might receive, I'm going to use you, Paul, people will receive the forgiveness of sins. If they'll turn to Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. You can have an inheritance among those who are sanctified, or sanctified means set apart by faith in me. And that would be a question to ask yourself. Do you have faith in Jesus? Are your sins forgiven? Are you set apart from the world for God, for Jesus? And then number five, the last thing we're going to look at, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Or again, um, oppressed speaks of bruised, crushed, broken in pieces. And again, we just see the, the damage that sin does. Sin Sin oppresses and harms its victims, but Jesus came to bring liberty to the oppressed. He, he heals the bruised. He heals the broken, uh, making our lives whole again. Then this, this next phrase pops up. This isn't one of the five, but as we're just winding things down, Luke 4.19, this is interesting. This is powerful. Verse four, nine, uh, Luke 4.19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord is part of what Jesus is claiming to bring as the Messiah. And this is so easily missed because the other five are so brilliant. But this is a reference to the Old Testament year of Jubilee. You may not know much about the year of Jubilee, but the year of Jubilee is found in the Old Testament law, Leviticus 25, and this is what the year of Jubilee is. And, and just listen how amazing it would be to live in a country governed by God, and these are the rules. Every week you get a day off. You say, okay, nothing so fantastic about that. It was in a world where there were no days off. That was revolutionary. This people's God wants them every week to rest. Do you realize how blessed we are when you're a person taking a day to rest? Do you know how unhealthy your life is when you're not taking a day to rest? So one day in seven, but it gets better. Because according to the Old Testament, every seven years you got a year off. How incredible would that be? Susie and I have been here 28 years. I was doing the math. That means four different times we took a whole year off because that's what God has for us. And he promises the sixth year he'll provide so much that you won't have to worry about the seventh year. Can you imagine how beautiful life would be if you were always working six years so you just with your family took the whole year off? How incredible. But then it gets better. And it just gets better and better all the way to Jesus. That's kind of like the way the scriptures go. It's like it gets better and better and better, and then it's all fulfilled in Jesus. Even better, every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. And because it's the 50th year, that meant you got two years off every 50 years. Because seven times seven is 49, so you're already getting the 49th year off. And now it's a year of jubilee. You get two whole years off. And this is what happens, the Old Testament says when you read it. The year of jubilee, it was a year of rest and restoration of property that had been lost. Right? So any way you'd been foolish, any way you'd erred, you'd lost your God-given property, that was restored. 
freeing people from debts. So all debts were canceled every 50 years from servitude. Sometimes debt would lead to servitude or slavery. That was all canceled. That'd be glorious. Like every 50 years, just all, the, all your debt is canceled. What a gift from God. It was a year of family reconciliation because people that were enslaved were set free and they, went, they showed up back at home. My, my debt's been canceled. And thus it was a year of tremendous joy or what's called jubilation. And all fulfilled in Jesus. This is why he came. This is the message of Jesus coming, that he, he sets us free, he cancels debts, he restores family. It's just such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Let's, let's just read the last uh, two verses. Verse 20, then he closed the book, Luke 4, 20, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were on the synagogue were fixed on him. Like, was he just reading that, or was he claiming that's him And he began to say to them, verse 21, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus answers two questions that everyone was asking. Who was Isaiah writing about? And Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled. It's me. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah And not only who was Isaiah writing about, but when will this come to pass? Jesus answered the question, today. It's happening right now. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we're going to finish there, and we're going to take communion. And really, uh, communion, in a lot of ways, we're just celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating the gospel and I wonder if we bring up the, the backdrop, the sin. And, you know, we went through that sin makes you, it damages you. It makes you poor, brokenhearted, captive, blind, oppressed. That's, in order for it to be good news, you've got to understand the bad news. You've got to understand the black backdrop. And, and we're going to take uh, communion. And then... In Jesus, of course, what we read, that we're rich, we're healed, we're free. We can now see truth about God, truth about ourselves, truth about one another, truth about Jesus. We're restored, and there's jubilation in our heart, which just means overflowing joy for all that God has done for us. Let's set things aside And I'd really like you to contemplate